Hey there, this is Christina and and Diana and you're listening to episode three of Mystic Mixtape. Thanks for tuning in. We have a very special guest tonight. Hey Pam, how are you doing? Hi, I'm well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. So do you want to Tell us a little bit about yourself, including maybe your sun, moon, and rising, if you feel so inclined. Yeah, I, well, my name is Pam Fisher. I don't know how in depth or how far back you want me to go. I, um, I'm here because I, I know Diana well from the Smashing Pumpkins fandom Mm -hmm. and, um, I am a, a fangirl and I've been a fangirl since I was about five years old. My first favorite band was Duran Duran. Oh, wow. I love Duran Duran. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I was born in November of 1973, which I just turned 48. And I'm a Scorpio. And Diana helped me out with my other signs. I have I, Aquarius moon moon and Sagittarius rising perfect and I only know that because of Diana (laughs) yes it's a good chart it's a very interesting chart yeah like a mix of fixed and mutable like lots of philosophical expansion and lots of Scorpio tenacity that's yeah (laughs) um so yeah I'm a a huge music person. Um, I also kind of tip my toes into like other pop culture fandoms. You know, I'm I'm big into movies and TV shows and Mm -hmm. Broadway and I, you know, just really all things pop culture. Um, But music is my my first love and my main love. Wow. Um, That's that's how I always describe my relationship with music too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes Um, it's like, it's so overwhelming to try to encapsulate, like, what's your relationship to music? You know, like, how do you concisely and accurately convey that? Um, Aside from what you just said, Pam, which was, it's your first love and it remains to be that. Um, I can definitely relate as well. And I feel like, uh, well, not only is it something important to all of us, but it's like, kind of what's brought us here together today so yeah how does the word fangirl make people feel Mm. well yeah I you know I kind of have reclaimed fangirl you know kind of kind of the way that you know there was the whole movement to reclaim the word bitch I have reclaimed fangirl because it definitely has derogatory associations. Mm. Um, And I just refuse to let that be. Like I said, Duran Duran was my first favorite band and I was very young when I found them. And as such, I experienced misogyny as a child Mm. because Duran Duran were not respected as a band by serious music fans. And I don't think I even understood that at that young age, but I sensed it and I would read, cause you know, I started reading music magazines early and you know, anything that I could find that would have 
interviews or articles about Duran Duran. And there was always that side of, of snide about them that, you know, there was mostly, mostly girls at their yeah. concerts. Like girls and, only like this band you know, they because were, like the musicians are hot and, and like they, they have one of the most skilled bass players to ever exist in rock and pop music. So <laughs> I don't really get it, but I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. I, any, anytime you want to jump in and defend Duran Duran, go right ahead. <laughs> um, you know, they were put together as pretty boys just to make girls happy. And that's not what happened. They were all serious musicians. They wrote their own songs. Anyway, I, I was very aware at that young age that that girls were not respected in the serious music fan community. And I think I didn't care. So it never made me embarrassed. It just made me aware that, you know, my, my voice didn't matter as much um, or, you know, seem, it didn't seem to matter as much to the serious, serious music fans most of whom were men, boys, guys, whatever. The term fangirl, um, you know, I've heard it my whole life and mostly in a negative context, but I'm a girl and I'm proud to be a girl and I'm a fan and I'm proud to be a fan. So I'm fangirl and like, whatever. I just own it now. Um, like, Yeah, I, I mean, I love that you know, you're not just going to accept like what has been, you know, assigned to you or, you know, it's not something of your generation, of your creation, of your own mind. It's like something projected onto you and really all of us, I guess. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, like why let people have that word as a diss or as a derogatory term when really it can be like a fuck yeah, I'm a fangirl type moment. Like, I, I relate very strongly to your uh, response. Same. And like everything you said, Pam, is just so relatable. It made me think of back when I was a teenager, like in my early teens, I was really, really, really into metal, specifically extreme metal. So like death metal, black metal, male dominated yeah. scenes it has become more normalized to see like girls fronting death metal and black metal bands and doing growls and like that particular style of singing and you have all girl metal bands like in in, in that specific niche but back then uh, i'm talking about the early um how do you say that oh my god <laughs> The early, early 2000s? Yeah, the early 2000s. And so girls were still very much like a rare thing in that scene. Like you didn't get to meet a lot of female metal fans or female metal musicians, specifically not female musicians in the extreme scene. Most of my friends were guys for this very reason and there was this like unspoken sentiment about you know girls not being really into extreme metal but rather being like into extreme metal because like the musicians belonging to that scene were like hot or whatever i used to buy 
metal magazines all, all the time and any metal magazines I, I could get my hands on. And I remember once that somebody wrote this very vicious letter to one of those magazines attacking female metal listeners and like describing them as, you know, these vapid individuals who were not really invested in the scene, but were, were actually like more preoccupied with how the musicians looked like. And, mm-hmm. and it was ridiculous because like I, I'm allowed to find people attractive, <laughs> even if I am a fan of a specific kind of music. And, and those very same people who would attack female metal fans were the same people who would objectify the female singers in the scene whenever they saw them or whenever music videos came up on, on MTV. I find that we had a similar kind of experience in, in that regard. It didn't really bother me or hurt me, but I really thought it was ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, the two things can exist at the same time. You can be a fan of the music and be, you know, serious about it and love the music. And you can also find the maker of the music attractive. And yeah. one doesn't take away from the other. And and you're right. Mind you, I, I find women attractive, you know, women musicians attractive also. A male fan can find Shirley Manson attractive but it's okay because, you know, he's there because of the music. But if I find, oh, I don't know Billy Corgan attractive, I'm at that show just because I want to stare at Billy Corgan. The music means nothing to me. Yeah, and you are a poser all of a sudden. Like, (laughs) your involvement in the scene has no real value because of that. Like, it's it's bullshit. You know, in, like, online fan communities, I found that a lot of females, a lot of women, girls, are, you know, hesitant to or have been I I feel like it's getting better and I I feel you know at least within my circle that people are feeling a little more free to be to express whatever they want to express as far as that but I think that you know women have been hesitant to say anything make any comment um, about the appearance of a band because you'll get attacked you know it's like you have to be so careful about what you say because they're waiting to attack you for not being a serious musician. Yeah, because you are held to this higher impossible standard exactly. of purity that totally does not apply to. Like you're always to trying man. to prove yourself to be a serious fan. You have to be, exactly. you know, walk on eggshells mm-hmm. and I won't do it. I will not do it. Mm-hmm. Really? I mean, what else can you do but reject that? Because the only other option is sort of just going along with an absurd assumption that the rules are completely different for you because of your gender. Um, Like you said, like, why is it that a male fan is presumed to always be interested in a band or an artist because of the music? And is, you know, that is perceived as somehow more noble or more valid than Mm If you are into a band for its visual art or for the attractiveness of the members and it's so ironic too because like if you're a female fan and you admit that you find one of the band members attractive or something like that why does it detract from your interest and your connection with the music yeah exactly it's just a completely like it's a paradigm that 
I reject because it's not, it doesn't ring true to my lived experience at all. Yeah, it's some kind of witch hunt dynamic. Like you have to prove your <laughs> innocence. Either you will float or you will burn. It, oh my God, yeah. I didn't. I would not have thought of it in that way before. But now that you say that, I mean, it really is kind of like you're presumed guilty before you say anything. And um, that can be really hard when you're young. I think we've all probably started getting interested in music and bands and fandom at a fairly young age. Mm -hmm. I know some people are like, oh, I didn't start paying attention to music until college. And I'm like, what? My dad is quite into music and my mom is too um, in their own ways. And so I was always around music. There's really no way that that wouldn't have influenced me in some way. But it's very difficult when you're young to perceive that. And even if you don't hold those opinions or values you're aware of their existence and you're aware of this almost like invisible barrier that someone has put forth yeah exactly like the fact that something is not verbalized in an explicit fashion doesn't mean that you cannot still pick up on what is left unsaid and and like something that is left unsaid can totally shape the environment you are in and the kind of attitude that people have towards you. And, and it really ends up affecting you in the long run. Also on the topic of like, well, just like rock scenes in general, I guess. Why is it that, you know, even for like the standard of appearance, like women and femmes are expected to fit a certain fairly narrow definition of beauty or attractiveness but the men look like they literally crawled out of a fucking sewer half the time <laughs> I mean especially <laughs> in the metal scene maybe that just sounds like bitter but that's my honest feeling is how the fuck can you tell what someone something negative about how they look or whatever when you haven't really self-assessed here, buddy. Okay, men are allowed to care about appearance. Men are allowed to evaluate the attractiveness of the women in the crowd, mm -hmm. the women on the stage. But if a woman has the, you know, stones <laughs> to do the same thing, somehow she's vapid, she's conceited, she's shallow. Um, it's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, to... To end my rant on a more positive note, um, I do think it is changing. I agree with that. I think, you know, not only is sort of like society more accepting in general of like diverse presentations and identities, but I think even in um, smaller, like more niche circles, people are kind of slowly coming around to the idea that you can't know by looking at someone why they're at the concert or you know what it means to them and sometimes it's challenging because a swamp person says something nasty about you or your friends but ultimately I try to remember there must be something that we're all connecting to because of this music so even where I guess egos and human ugliness fail I think the music is always there for us is <laughs> like kind of that connecting thread but also that like healing salve I was gonna ask you like you know um do you feel that it's any better 
when you're a musician yourself in in a scene and you know does that come with its own challenges or is it like oh she's cool she's like an exception because she can play or because she has this record collection or whatever Mm. you know passing the test sort of no I don't (laughs) really think it gets any better like in my experience up to a certain point it was really hard for me to be taken seriously by the people that I was even playing with it wasn't always like that and there were exceptions I collaborated with several fellow musicians who happened to be male and who actually took me seriously but I don't know if that means anything at all but I had the hardest time with actually finding people who took me seriously enough to play the stuff that I wrote than I did with finding you know other bands to do guest vocals for I still can't wrap my head around it but like when it comes to collaborations and like me doing vocals for other bands or doing stuff for other bands it was fairly easy and and I could tell that those people were actually taking me seriously but you know eventually you know the fact that I'm basically recording this whole record by myself like the, the main reason is that you know it's really hard to find people who are obviously mostly males again because metal is there's less sexism but it's still very much a male dominated scene to this very day um, and 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 it's hard to find people who take you seriously enough to really want to commit to making music with you and and to you know play your shit like I wrote this and I want you to play this that was virtually impossible and and eventually I, I ended up like doing everything on my own because of this very reason so yeah I mean I don't know that it's any better when you are actually a musician and and somebody who is like actively involved in the scene it's still pretty much like hard to be taken seriously but hopefully that will change too yeah um I mean I've had similar experiences just um even like casually being part of a larger band that has a pretty you know loose attitude um ultimately like my experience was very colored by a a feeling of exclusion it wasn't so much about being criticized heavily as only feeling accepted if I made myself an accessory rather than a focal point um creatively and otherwise yeah exactly you know that was really challenging because frankly like I have things to offer more so in as a creative like visual person probably than I do sonically although I also had my like validity as a musician questioned and um you know even by people I considered friends it wasn't just people who were around and that can be extremely hurtful and discouraging Um, especially when you see or feel like okay these other people are being treated differently it it feels like you're left out of the club there's a boys club and you're Mm -hmm. just not invited and it doesn't matter if you're cool 
by their measure or not, because there, there's just no way you'll ever be welcome there. And <laughs> my solution to that was to start a band with no men in it. I'm not saying that that's the best way, but for me at the time, myself and other um, female musicians were having similar experiences and we were like, fuck this. Like we've tried to work with this situation and had limited success, limited results. So like, we just went and did our own thing. And um, yeah, it's been great so far. Mm-hmm. All bands have like drama and chaos, of course, but that wall is not there for anyone. Um, this makes me want to ask you, Pam, how does forming relationships in the music scene, like platonic relationships even, friends, whatever, look like from your point of view? How has your experience and this identity that you are taking back, that you are reclaiming, impact or inform your ability to like form meaningful relationships with other people who are also equally like invested in music and passionate about music? What, what kind of challenges did you encounter in this regard? Um, well, I went a long time without really forming um, relationships within fan communities. It's different for me because I kind of like straddle the like pre-internet internet mm. periods of fandom. Like, you know, some younger fans have, do not know the pre-internet, you know, world of, of fandom where, you know, you really... <laughs> It was hard to meet other fans except for at shows. And I have a very specific way that I go to concerts in that I am very focused. If it's a general admission show, you know, I wait in line. I want to get on the front row and it gives me a little bit of, of um, opportunity to meet people who are also waiting in line, but also I just get very intense and have a hard time having conversations in those situations. And I'm not the most social person at a concert. I don't like go to the bar, or, like hang out and talk. Like I'm like, you know, on the rail, focused on the show. So in the pre-internet days, I didn't really meet that many people. Um, I just kind of went to shows and, and did my own thing. Um, when the internet kind of started and like message boards became a thing, I naively just bounded onto them and was so excited and had some really difficult experiences um, in a few of of the fandoms that um, I was in and some of them I'm still in but it was hard I was in my 20s and I, I don't think I was strong enough to handle the the hatred that was thrown at me and I just kind of gave up trying to make connections or trying to to talk with other people because I didn't need it. You know, I was, you know, perfectly self-sufficient to like, you know, celebrate the bands in my own way and go to concerts. And, you know, I, I made some friends here and there at shows, but I didn't have a big community of friends. I mean, probably the one community that I did make a lot of friends in was, um, was a band called Better Than Ezra. And they were never like my favorite band, but they're from where I'm from. And so I kind of, you know, 
grew up going to their shows and, and knowing them. And so I was on their message board and it was a much friendlier place. And so all of my friends in the fandoms came from that, that fandom, which was funny because they weren't my favorite band. And so like they knew, you know, that I was a big pumpkins fan and, you know, eventually fan like Jack white and white stripes. And, um, but they didn't really share that passion with me which worked out fine for me because they understood my mindset and we could talk and bond over, over music and, and our passions for it, just not specifically the bands that, that I was passionate for. Um, so really I was kind of anonymous, fairly obviously my biggest, you know, fandom at the moment and well, my whole life, but is Smashing Pumpkins um, fandom. And I was fairly anonymous in the Pumpkins fandom for most of my life until the past, oh, I don't know, three years or so, I guess. I was, you know, online. I was in the fan groups. Um, I would kind of, I don't even know if I'd call it lurking. I would just kind of observe, <laughs> um, but never really cared to stick my neck out there. Like, you know, it's like, you know, fool me once, but like, you're not going to fool me twice. And I honestly can't really remember what changed. I was like, well, you know what? Like, I'm just going to share, share stuff on my own. And if it connects with somebody, it does. And maybe that's the way, like, I'm not going to try to meet people. I'm just going to like post some stuff on my Instagram and see what happens. And so I started posting just like experiences and memories on Instagram. And, and then I started making these connections with people and it was kind of shocking to me to, to start meeting people who had a similar, you know, mindset and were similar, you know, similar experiences. And I mean, even though I knew other people out there existed, it's like, you really do feel alone until you start talking to people who have had the same kind of experiences as you. And I've actually found it equal parts, incredibly easy and incredibly hard to make friends in the fandom, particularly in this fandom, because it's the only one I'm really trying to. I don't mean particularly this one, maybe particularly this one, but I haven't really started to make friends like, you know, I'm a huge Jack White fan, but I don't really I don't really go into that fandom and try to make friends. I just don't have time. You know, I, I'm like a big fan of him and I will travel to see him and stuff, but like, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. Um, so like pumpkins is my main focus. And, um, you know, I would say the sad part is even at, you know, in my mid forties, meeting people who, are around my same age, you know, some younger, but a couple of the really bad experiences I've had in the past couple years have been with other adults and, you know, other women. And I think that's a whole other, <laughs> a whole other probably, you know, podcast to talk about. But even though I've had some, some of those bad experiences what I didn't do this time. And, you know, I, I was tempted a couple of times to just be like, you know what, let me just deactivate these and go back to, you know, not talking to people. But what I didn't do was that I didn't <laughs> retreat from it because I saw the benefit of, of the fan community. And I, 
you know, I kind of feel like an elder in the fan community, um, just because I, I feel ancient, but also I just feel like I've gone through almost every experience that a female fan can have in being a fan of a band. And as much as I can, I want to keep younger fans from having the bad experiences. Mm. And I know you can't keep mm. people from having all the bad experiences, but I mean, just yesterday or a day before, a young, very young female fan messaged me on Instagram and said, I just want to thank you for being a really kind member of the Pumpkins fan community. I look up to you. And uh-huh. I was like, you know, <laughs> this is this is part of it. And it's a big part of it because, you know, she's a teenager. And when I was a teenager, I didn't have anybody to help me navigate the waters of the fan community and online. I mean, I don't know if 15 year old me had 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 Instagram and Twitter and all of that. I don't know if I'd still be sitting here, honestly, like it's rough out there. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Yeah. And so the really good relationships that I have made within the fan community helped me to celebrate where I've been also helped me pave that road for younger fangirls to let them know that they matter. They're important. They, they should be out having fun and celebrating and doing anything they want to do. And it doesn't matter what other people think. And so I don't know if I just went off on a a tangent, but that that's the importance right now of me and my relationships in the fan community. I think that that was less of going on a tangent and more of like speaking Mm -hmm. from the heart. I mean, I was growing up when the internet was first kind of gaining traction. This is probably also a separate conversation, but like there's a very similar sort of culture on the internet at the time to the point where like in an anonymous community, if you were female, you tried to conceal that um, just because people would suddenly treat you completely differently. Um, Even though the words on the screen that you write are the same words (laughs) and just magnifying like, okay, well, there were message boards, but there, when I was like 15, but there weren't, there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't Facebook and those things like, you know, you're just fed so much information and so much shit constantly. And like, how, how does anyone's brain process all that? I'll never know. But being a vulnerable person, you know, as any teenage girl or any teenager in general is, um, it's actually like difficult for me to recall those days because they were painful for me too. And it would have been such a blessing and such a light in my life if there were someone like you, Pam, to look toward to have a sense of like what's possible for me instead of someone, some guy dictating what's not possible for me. Mm. And so thank you for, you know, putting up with the bullshit and the misconceptions and the judgment or, you know, whatever people do online (laughs) and in person sometimes. Um, Because, you know, there's no way to measure it, but it's, it's a very important what I consider a service to the community. 
um, just by standing as an example of someone who follows their passion and doesn't let anyone else tell them how to do it or you know how much or when. I, I admire that a lot about you and um, thank you for, for just like being who you are and allowing a sliver of that online for people. I think it's very important and um, yeah. Well, thank, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I know. I'm a little, a little, a little teary now, but not to say that, you know, I haven't felt purpose in my life, my whole life, but like, as far as like, you know, there's my professional life and then there is my, my personal life and my passions and my hobbies. And I've been a, you know, practicing fangirl for almost my entire <laughs> life. And I feel like just now in the past few years, I've really found like a purpose in it that feels important to me in a way that I never expected it to. It's weird. I mean, sometimes I'll like kind of sit back and think like if you had told, you know, 20 year old me that, you know, I would ever have like one iota of influence in a fan community, I would have thought that was crazy because I felt like the most like stupid, insignificant person to ever exist and and I felt like that for a long time but I think you know maturity and and you know perspective and just seeing that you know we are all at the same time just stupid and insignificant and also the most important person in the whole world you know at the same time we all are and it's something that I'm I'm happy to be a part of. And I'm happy to see it, it growing. It feels like it's growing to me. It feels like that, I mean, just within, you know, our Smashing Pumpkins fan community, I, I, I feel like I see a change in attitudes. I mean, part of it is probably because some of like the older generation are, are like cycling out of the online fan community. I mean, I'm sure they're still there and they're still doing something, but you know, some of the, the older people who were trying to be gatekeepers aren't sharing on Instagram or aren't like, you know, making nasty comments like they did 20 years ago. I also think that people are seeing the benefit of different perspectives. I'm hoping so, at least. I mean, it feels like it's a, a bit friendlier out there these days. And I feel like when it's not friendlier, people are more apt to speak up about it, which um, is heartening because, you know, back in the day, nobody would say anything. I had, you know casual friends on message boards and like I would get like just jumped on for having being a girl with an opinion and mm -hmm. and you know nobody would come to my defense and I can't really blame them because I don't know if I would have it's scary you know if you jump to somebody's defense they're going to jump on you but mm -hmm. I feel like that, that that's changing a bit too mm -hmm. yeah internet was definitely a lot more chaotic back then I feel and in time that definitely changed you know to have a basic etiquette in terms of how you relate to strangers on the internet it, it became more prominent the internet is, is itself pretty young so mm -hmm. internet culture was just in its like 
Cro-Magnon phase in 2000. Yeah, or in, whereas like right now it's going through its Saturn return. So there's this coming of age moment. <laughs> yeah, for the whole that's internet. actually, that's such a good parallel because it's like, okay, reality is hitting and people are realizing that it's not just, you know, fun and games to type a nasty thing at a stranger. Like these are real people and, you know, like, but I guess um, that I'm definitely not, throwing that in there as an excuse to anyone who was an asshole to Pam to anyone just because they're a woman with an opinion or just because they're a woman (laughs) or a queer person um you know I'm I'm proud to witness that people call bullshit like that out very bluntly and try to nip it in the bud these days instead of just passively letting it slide do you feel like it's a bit of a generation thing um, that's not to say I, I know lovely people of all age groups and generations, but I do think like people in their like teens and early twenties are like just Pluto and Sagittarius generation. Mm. They don't talk mm. shit. I was just thinking of bringing up Pluto and Sagittarius because that was Pluto's placement for most of the well not really most of the 90s but definitely late 90s to Mm -hmm. 2009. I I find it interesting that both of you had Pluto transiting through your first house of selfhood, self-image and identity while all of those things that you were recounting were happening. A lot of the things that you mentioned feel really Plutonian in nature, like feeling alienated on one hand, but also like taking back your power on the other hand and truly reclaiming something that you were labeled as in a derogatory kind of way. I don't know if this makes sense, but I I found it an interesting kind of correlation. Yeah, uh, I definitely, it makes sense to me. I mean, Sagittarius is a sign associated with freedom and possibilities and um, it's very philosophical it tries to figure out you know the deeper implications of something Mm -hmm. and then Pluto itself is just this radioactive energy that it can be wielded in a way that's constructive but it's so inherently just so intense that if you don't know what you're doing, it can be a destructive force. <laughs> That's pretty in line, actually, with how I um, felt about online fan culture in that era, was that um, people definitely were gatekeeping. They were concerned with power, another Pluto theme. Um, but there is also this push to like start making more space at the table for people of different varieties because Sagittarius is obviously the traveling archetype the explorer um the multiculturalist the anthropologist the sociologist of the zodiac so it is cool it is cool to see that and to see gosh it makes me feel old to say people born during those years um now being (laughs) old enough to participate and weigh in and um for the most part I think create a more um, inclusive and safe feeling culture. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Wow. 
I didn't expect to like, I feel like this happens every time. Like I'm like, we're going to have this great conversation. And I never really think like, I'm, I'm all in my head about like the ideas we're going to talk about. And I don't really think about how the emotional element will come through, but I'm definitely feeling it just, um, recounting like memories of my own. I think it's a bittersweet feeling because there's a lot of like, why were people so shitty? And why is this such a common experience? I mean, I feel like every female fan that I've talked to, like Pam, like I'm more invested in Smashing Pumpkins community than any other, but just in general, like in music scenes um, that I've been part of really throughout my whole life, basically, um, it seems like such a common experience. And yeah, the hope that that will be like a thing of the past it's kind of bittersweet because it's like well that hurt but at the same time like if if we're playing our cards right and we're working through that painful stuff it does create like a clean slate almost for the for the younger set yeah exactly so that no one else will have to go through the same things that i did i'm definitely getting plutonic scorpionic kind of vibes from from the conversation which I guess shouldn't as a surprise but also on a more Neptunian note I suppose I wanted to pose a question to you all I suppose in a way Pam inspired it talking about like you know why is caring about appearances like why was Duran Duran devalued having female fans looking pretty being aesthetically oriented um, that's all very Neptunian to me and in line with Pam's Neptune and Sag on her ascendant. Um, and just like, you know, rock and roll can to some be considered like gritty and dirty and rough, more Martian, I guess, but there's always been that like Venusian or Neptunian energy as well. And, you know, in traditional astrology, like the, the grit and the aggression would, definitely be considered masculine or under like Mars rulership. And then all of that sort of ethereal beauty would be more Venusian. Venusian. And, and I can't help, like, I'm not trying to like project a binary on everything here, but just in this particular case, it seems very much that the Martian masculine energy was like celebrated and and elevated as an ideal or as something cool and then all the venusian stuff was like you know um devalued and i think we're definitely (laughs) thinking of like internet culture now i think people are are tipping the other way and in general more appreciative of that stuff but it can also take on its own superficial sort of trappings too yeah you know it's an interesting question because in a way it's kind of like you know when people assume that a beautiful woman is dumb or has no other talent than being beautiful I think you know people like looked at Duran Duran and saw you know these good-looking guys but they weren't like macho masculine masculine yeah it was like a new romantic kind of aesthetic yeah and so I think you know that put people mostly men I would assume off Mm -hmm. right you know even you know like Robert Plant or somebody who was very masculine on stage and oozed sexuality but he was 
you know, in jeans with his shirt open with his bare chest right. out. And Duran Duran were very different than that. Although, you know, I mean, they certainly oozed sexuality. They were they were getting chicks left and right from what I hear now. Um, I, I missed my opportunity back then. I was a very young child. Um, but now we know. Yeah. Now we know why all the men were talking shit. They were jealous. They were jealous. Those yeah. pretty boys were getting more action. Right. Than yeah, anyone. definitely <laughs> jealousy, and also probably like the tendency to hate on everything that is traditionally and stereotypically considered like feminine. Yeah, and you know, I mean, that was years and years ago, but times haven't changed that much because, you know, not to always bring it back to pumpkins, but I kind of always bring it back to pumpkins. <laughs> it's okay. You know, I mean, Billy Corgan is aware of dresses and makeup, and to this day, people yeah, still have not- a problem with it. You know, I try not to read comments on Facebook because nothing good comes of it. <laughs> but every now and then I'll go on like the official Pumpkins Facebook page and I'll look at some oh, of the comments oh. on the posts. And when there's a photo of, you know, Billy on stage from summer 2019, he's got the long gown on and like makeup on his face. I and love his outfits. Like, I, I think he looks so cool. It's like a knuckletist kind of vibe, like Crowley I, type of. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's also, I love how he fuses like ancient classic type shit with like futuristic alien looking shit like no one has the same anyway I'm gonna just gush if I keep going yeah (laughs) yeah it's true but you know you'll see comments like you know would it kill him to wear a pair of jeans and a (laughs) t-shirt why like that makes a difference right like oh I didn't like his album like the outfit Right. Like this guy really would have enjoyed the performance of Solara if he had been wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Like it, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I feel that cultivating a particular kind of aesthetic has always been Billy's thing. Like in the video to Adore, why would anyone prefer a version of that beautiful iconic video with Billy wearing jeans and a shirt? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is not really on topic, but I feel like a lot of, of mostly men who are fans of the early 90s stuff feel like they were like hoodwinked into being fans of the band. It's like, you know, (laughs) bait and switch, like, oh, we thought this was a normal rock dude and we get all into them. And all of a sudden he's wearing dresses, but like, look at the record show. He always wore dresses. Exactly. Yeah. Like in early, early days promotional photo session for I don't recall which album it was but like all of them were wearing gowns like with huge um Machina Machina, but yeah yeah, that was was the that was after the bait and switch like these people people were like you know the gish Siamese dream melancholy people but I don't think he was particularly you know traditionally masculine during gish yeah and i I mean i guess veering into siamese dream maybe when he was you know wearing like you know ghostbusters long sleeves and things like i could see maybe that but there was a very small window of him being traditionally (laughs) yeah masculine i I mean he's a pisces like what do you expect (laughs) yeah that's what what I was thinking of when we were talking of like Christina and you mentioned how he has always kind of crafted like 
he's high concept. He's high aesthetic. He's always crafted a strong visual image to match the sonic thing that he's doing. And it's such a moon midheaven person thing. Yes, exactly. And and just like the moon, he has his different phases and styles. And sometimes it's more simplistic. Sometimes it's more opulent. And, you know, as far as gender expression, it runs the whole spectrum really Mm -hmm. and it always has so for me it's really hard to say well let's try to nail down this very mutable Piscean person and and say that they have to be this one thing I mean that's nuts that's just like are are you seeing the same person I'm seeing here are you hearing the same music I'm hearing because what the hell yeah (laughs) and the hoodwinked comment oh my god Pam that's hilarious (laughs) and so fucking true it it really is Like I'm thinking about Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters and he's a very normal man rock star (laughs) and, and like no shade. I mean, you know, I like a Foo Fighters song here and there, but you know, they just got into the rock and roll hall of fame. Dave Grohl is like on everyone's like top three list of like, you know, greatest humans to ever live. And I'm sure he's a nice man, but it almost seems cause he's, you know, wearing jeans and because t- somebody even said, I love that Dave Grohl went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and wore, je- and wore jeans and a t-shirt. Like, mm-hmm. okay, that's fine. And I know that David Bowie went through ebbs and, and flows of popularity and respect. And I feel like maybe, maybe pumpkins are taking that road. You know, I, I wonder like, when because you know there were times when David Bowie wasn't part of the conversation of legends you know Mm -hmm, before he died and and you know certainly now he is Mm -hmm. and I just wonder you know if there's some sort of of parallel there if it's just you know it's so it's so just hard for people to to relate Maybe that's it. Maybe it's the relatable thing. Maybe people love Dave Grohl because they could be Dave Grohl. They yeah, couldn't. Or they could, they because could they don't have that talent. Being Dave they Grohl. think they yeah. could be Dave Grohl. They could be up or there doing friend. what he does. You know? Right. I mean, come and, on. He's extremely talented. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, nobody could be, I mean, they couldn't be Dave Grohl, but they think they could. He makes it look easy, like an everyman type thing. I was just going to say that. That like the archetypal everyman and right. definitely Bowie or Billy Corgan don't right. tend toward that I mean, as often. Who, who's going to look at the Seer video and think I could, that could be me, you know? I I may have thought that once or twice. <laughs> I'm also not the average dude. Right. <laughs> it's definitely a, a big part of my perspective on um, the image in general of Smashing Pumpkins because it's so tied to Billy. Um being judged in a way like having to do with like devaluing femininity Mm -hmm. even though he's a man and as we know like Billy Corgan as a person is pretty masculine Mm -hmm. like he's into wrestling (laughs) he's a dude but as far as people are concerned they see the Victorian imagery and the sort of art nouveau sensibilities or you know, just dresses and powder on your face and they're turned off because it's too feminine. They are, 
thankfully witnessing an era in which people who bend the gender norms are more visible and, and embraced. But mm -hmm. I guess that for many people, gendering things unnecessarily is like still a thing. And so, yeah, everything pretty much becomes gendered dresses and makeup become heavily gendered and so if you deviate from the binary you are basically vilified because you are doing something that you are not supposed to do and and for that person who is doing it that's simply like genuine self-expression but that's not how it registers for people who is this person who is adopting these gender non-conforming presentation like why is this person doing this I do not understand like this threatens my vision of the word and all of the tenants my my worldview rests on and this is scary exactly it it goes back to like an ingrained worldview that you know we're all inculturated with norms mm -hmm. and it starts from birth really the trouble with these conversations is it can be hard to talk about simply because it's not conscious to most people. Because if you ask most guys, if they treat men and women in the crowd at a show the same, they would probably say, yeah, everybody's yeah. equal. Mm -hmm. But they probably deep down have biases that are operating. And it can be really tough to have those conversations because it's like semi-conscious or unconscious stuff. It's like heavily normalized to the point that you do not really pay attention to it and and so you cannot see it well that's why we love artists who slap us in the face with something challenging those norms right I mean exactly. I think it's hilarious to try to police an artist because it's their job to challenge what we think things are and and to create something new or something that challenges what we thought before was possible and so that's what I celebrate about people like David Bowie is that, you know, they weren't afraid to go against the grain and just do what felt like expression to them. And mm -hmm. it still takes a great deal of longevity to do it. But thank thankfully, um, we're living in a, oh, I hate to say that, we're living in a post-Bowie world. So Unfortunately. Sad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and to kind of take it back to what we were talking about at the beginning too, I think that um, in this age of, of social media and artist engagement within fan communities, I think, and I've seen that the artists who are more engaged in their fan communities, those are the fan communities that are becoming a kinder place for fans. Um, I think just having the artist like knowing that the artist is is kind of in in amongst the fans I feel like kind of softens it a little bit um you know a few of the bands that I follow pretty closely the people in the bands you know interact on social media or at least you know you know that their presence is there and and mm -hmm. encourage fans to be kinder to each other and and I think that makes a big difference. It's interesting mm. that you brought this up because I was just 
thinking about asking you, like, what about the relationship between fan and artist? Like, in your experience, how is that different from the relationship between you as a fangirl and other fans in the same fandom? Like, how do the two things compare in terms of challenges, in terms of, you know, being seen in a certain way? Like, it, is there the same type of prejudice at play or is it an entirely different kind of dynamic from your standpoint from your perspective um i i think it's entirely different like from my experience i am not shy with the artists i love when i have the opportunity i let them know what they mean to me i don't know that i can even think of a time that i have interacted with an artist and not had a pleasant experience and honestly that's probably why i kept going um, because like, I'm a big believer in letting people know when something they've done has affected your life. And, you know, I've been called a stalker. I've been like, I've been called everything. Someone went, once asked me and I won't name any names at all, but like, oh, is that how you got to know so-and-so you were relentless? Which to me sounds so negative I don't think the person was trying to be ugly but I was like no it's it's called devoted not relentless mm -hmm. yeah um, why did they choose a word that had such a harsh negative yeah charge to it I think it's insulting to you because it presupposes that you don't have respect for the artist it's like you know they're assuming that you see them as like a, an object rather than a person and Yeah. You're the kind of person in my experience that does have respect for people as they are. You've never shat on my boundaries. So <laughs> it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to think of you as a relentless stalker or whatever the fuck. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess I shouldn't make assumptions, but was it a man? <laughs> it was a man. It was. Fancy that, you know, it's jealous, probably deep down. And it probably goes back to our, our discussion at the beginning, the sort of assumption that you aren't allowed to be a real fan as a woman, or, you know, it's, it's not really for you. So there must have been something else going on, because surely this woman wouldn't have a better time or more success than I would. I mean, that's just crazy talk yeah um, I think for some people it's just they you know like you said they're not trying to be ugly but they're kind of showing their whole ass with their stupid question yeah I've gotten um, a little of it too and I definitely don't enjoy even unintentional shade <laughs> it, it tends to wear you down a little bit and um yeah I think it's really it's good when the presence of the artist is felt by the community, because I think it reminds people of like why they're there and their positive emotions and their positive feelings. And um, that can help, you know, connect people. I definitely have had experiences where I found someone completely obnoxious at a concert, but then after a certain point, we might be singing along together at the end of the show. Um, because it, it always comes back to the music, really. 
as cheesy as it sounds, I, I believe that to be true. Yeah, it is true. You know, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned being part of fan communities is that it's that difference between, you know, friend and acquaintance and how that's needed in, in all social situations. You know, I mean, some people are going to be closer than others, um, but it's just about being like civil to everyone and trying to encourage a, a community of just kindness. Um, mm. It's hard because, you know, they're, you know, clicks form and, and that's life. It's just how it is. And there are always going to be groups of people who are closer than other groups. And, and, you know, and I mean, click is kind of a negative word, but if you just recognize that it's going to happen, then just, you know, try to make sure that, that everybody is, is okay in the greater community. And that's, that's a difficult thing too. And I think a lot of times it's the female, the female fans who, who feel those things. I think it's tends to be more of a, of a, a feminine emotion. The, you know, certainly it's not exclusively females, but I've certainly felt other at, you know, parts of my life felt left out of things and it doesn't feel good. Um, But it's almost impossible, especially in a fan community, when you have a lot of people, it's almost impossible to include everybody all the time in everything. And (laughs) so like those, those waters are are hard to navigate. Um, Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, you can foster kindness and inclusivity and you're still going to find within a a group subgroups that form. And it can be difficult sometimes if those subgroups have differences or conflicts. Um, But yeah, I can definitely relate to having that sort of awareness that like beyond myself, like there's how I feel about the music or about the people around me. But then there's this other layer of what is it's it's impossible to know exactly but like what is you know the general average person experiencing yeah what is the culture I guess that we're we're creating I don't want to assign that to women exclusively either but I think even in like astrological terms those kind of concerns would fall under more of a Venus than a Mars energy Um, the concern for harmony or the concern for each member of a group and functioning Mm -hmm. together that's um that's something that I I do think some people tend to think about more than others in a in a community but I think it is becoming more more common for people to talk about that stuff like openly and instead of just feeling a particular way and not feeling like there's anywhere to put that emotion or any constructive action. And, you know, I mean, honestly, like, I don't know what it's like to, to not feel excluded a little. I'm a bit of a loner and I'm just sort of used to that niche that I occupy. <laughs> but at the same time, it has felt extremely good to, to uh, after many years of just kind of, yeah, trying to do my thing and not really worry about what other people have to say, like kind of letting my guard down and and realizing that there are people like you, Pam, in the, you know, fan community that I really 
consider friends even outside of like a shared interest just on like a personal level and um yeah it, it can be difficult because hard experiences rejection or judgment or mean bullshit can kind of make you tend to want to like protect yourself rightfully so but I think if you put that wall up of protection up too high um, you end up losing the opportunity to make real connections. And that's something I've had to learn. Um, and I'm just glad I learned it before I was too old to make new friends. <laughs> Not that you're ever too old to make new friends, but it does seem that as we age, you know, our social pools get a little smaller. But I think being a fangirl has brought more positive connections into my life than bad ones. I can handle a few naysayers if it means having all the, all the good stuff too. Right. Yeah. That's what I always say about social media. I mean, certainly social media has its, its downsides and it's, and it's, yeah. you know, bad parts, but um, it's brought so much good into my life. It's worth it you have to learn how to handle the, the bad parts of it. And that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. the problem yeah. that and not everybody can. What to engage with too, like having right. some boundaries with yourself, uh, refrain from reading the comment section, <laughs> pretty much anything. Don't read the comments, never read the comments. <laughs> boundaries, not so much to push others away, but just to maintain the sovereignty of like what you will accept for yourself. And exactly. Yeah. That's rooted in a sense of self and the sense of I belong here. I deserve to take up space. And I think, you know, women have been made to feel that maybe we don't belong or we don't deserve to take up space. And mm-hmm. we're kind of like living in a time now where that is changing. And like, it's funny, I have a friend, we're we're like the same age, and she has a daughter who's like about 10 or 11 years old. And one time she said to her daughter, hey, so-and-so, I just want you to know, don't ever let someone tell you that you can't do something because you're a girl. And the kid looks quizzical and is like, what are you talking about, mom? Of course I can do whatever. It doesn't matter if I'm a girl. And the kid acted like it was the just the most bizarre out there premise that she'd ever heard. And to me, not only was that hilarious, but <laughs> it was evidence that things are changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, even even through the bullshit and and through the hardship, I think it's all worth it in the end. If we're seeing like younger girls and and young women coming up not having to cultivate that sense of self and boundaries over time but already having that in place um, right it's pretty amazing and I wish we had had talked a little bit more about like gosh this conversation could go on forever when it comes to like female like empowerment and what are the things that like the presence of women and femmes in like the music community like what are the things we bring like because I think there are so many wonderful benefits to having, I guess, people of all gender identities come to the table and have input. Um, that's probably for another day. But 
yeah, to bring it back to the pumpkins, just one more time, I will say that um, Billy Corgan has seemed to uh, frequently collaborated with female artists and vocalists and um, always, you know, giving them that platform and credit. And, and I think that is something that has also been attacked by like the fan bro dudes sometimes. Fan um, bro dudes. <laughs> and I do think <laughs> also <genius>. that <laughs> I'm going to get probably don't, I'm not reading the comments because someone's going to have a problem with what I just said. We're not reading the comments ever. I'm just coming from a place of honesty and humor in true Sagittarian fashion here but <laughs> but all jokes aside I think women have always been there women have always contributed and in the past our contributions have been hidden mm -hmm. um like if a guy wanted to be a musician like you don't think that maybe there was a woman at home doing his laundry and doing other shit and probably also being like an inspiration for a song lyric or, you know, who knows what else. Um, we've seen examples of like, at least in the visual art world of men, like saying, this is my painting when it was his wife's painting. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that doesn't happen anymore, hopefully, <laughs> um, at least not as often. And I think that's really cool that we're seeing female voices that are coming through without being filtered through a male lens or side by side with a male and a female lens and nobody's trying to dominate the other. It's just harmonious. Um, I love that as much as I love rock and roll and, you know, <laughs> it's been such an important force in my life. I also accept the fact that like genre and like kind of sticking to your I don't want to say click but like sticking to your group or category like it was when we were in high school any of us um it's different now kids listen to music from all genres a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff is a mishmash of like rock hip-hop classical um just put all together and I I think just in general, a lot of like the false categorizations and walls and barriers are just coming, coming crumbling down. And um, I love to see that. So thank you both for having like this sort of surprisingly earnest emotional conversation. Um, it's definitely gone in a direction for me that is surprising, but in, in a very good way. Yeah, it was great. And it leaves me feeling hopeful for like everything that could be any, you know, everything that is to come. And um, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, even the fact that we are three, you know, fangirls having this conversation <laughs> for a podcast, I mean, female voices are so rare in this way I'm friends with the guys in the Smashing Pumpcast a podcast about Smashing Pumpkins and they're super cool guys um when I first started listening to them like I messaged them and I was like I love what you're doing where are the women like because all of their guests were guys and mm -hmm. they were like we know we know it's just that it's always guys who raise their hand when it's time to talk and yeah. I was like we need to change that 
I think that women are so used to letting the guys talk for whatever reason, mostly because usually they're, you know, maybe made to feel like their voice is not important when they do talk. And so it's just like conditioning to not speak up. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's just really important to have feminine voices, female voices in, in, in all areas, you know, in, in criticism, you know, I mean, like in music writing, I remember a time when, you know, the only women in the music industry were, where were they? You know, I mean, all the writers that I read were men, all the Mm -hmm. reviewers of concerts, even in the photo pit, it was all men. Now, you know, you see women in the photo pit, there are more women writers and, you know, this podcast and just, you know, it's so important just for a second to talk about wrestling because I am a wrestling (laughs) fan. Um, I followed Billy Corgan's wrestling company and, you know, the first few wrestling tapings that I went to, it was all men at the commentary desk. I didn't think anything about it because I was new to it, you know, and I was learning. And then I realized, you know, it's just all men and they brought a woman in on commentary and it was like, ah, I feel represented (laughs) here. There's a a woman's voice on, like, it's just so important and it's easy to roll your eyes or like not even hear it anymore when people talk about Mm -hmm. the importance of representation, but Mm -hmm. it's so true. I love, you know, writer actress Mindy Kaling and she talks about when she was young there were no Indian women anywhere she didn't know she could be on TV and now she's you know bringing young Indian women onto her TV shows and people are seeing that and it's so important yeah yeah I would also love to see more women like in the sound engineering field Mm -hmm. which is incredibly male dominated I remember when I used to attend a sound engineering school and I was pretty much like the only girl in a group of dudes and I felt incredibly accepted the environment was very welcoming to me and I, I was actually friends with basically all of the of the guys who were like in the same group with me but also like it it says something about the fact that it's almost a given that when we think about sound engineering we think about man and like a stereotypical male profession and and that is something that I would very much love to see change in. It's hard to change something like that that's so ingrained. Mm -mm immediately but incrementally those changes are are happening because like we're talking about people are seeing more and more representation of people like them and it does take some courage to be among the first to do something right and it can be scary and you're probably going to get a lot of fucking criticism but ultimately I think At some point, every person wrestles with this, like, what's more important, like doing the thing you want to do or being accepted. Exactly. Yeah. And so for me, I've obviously chosen the former. Um, And I think same for for you Um, Mm -hmm. and, and same for anyone who I look to as inspirational or, you know, pioneering or groundbreaking. 
Um, most people like that are operating like in the future in a way, like they can see what's possible instead of just looking at what is. I guess that sounds more like a Uranian sort of theme. But Yeah, maybe kind of Neptunian too, because Neptune has a way of showing you what is not quite there yet, but could be. And I find mm -hmm. it interesting that all of us three have a significant Neptune placement, like Pam has Neptune in her first house, I believe, correct? Yeah, yeah I, I believe it is conjunct the ascendant. Yeah. yeah, and you have a tight, actually an exact moon-Neptune conjunction, and I have Neptune basically making contact with everything in my chart. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. I, I definitely think that um, people with strong Neptune in their charts probably resonate very deeply with music because mm -hmm. we like feel it on like a soul level. Exactly. Um, it goes beyond just like the, the enjoyment, I guess. Exactly. Um, yeah. Like enjoyment is more of a Venetian kind of a vibe, like pursuing pleasure for the sake of it. But Neptune is more like, Uh, it, it really gives you a sense of something that is not factually there because it's immaterial and it still it is capable of like touching very deep places in your soul. Yeah, I, I definitely think like there's a reason that um, Neptune is considered like the higher octave planet of Venus. Venus is like enjoying the beauty of the music and Neptune is finding that transcendent ethereal kind of connection with it and it's beautiful when you have both in play at the same time um and I'm sure if we wanted to do like case studies on people's charts <laughs> as far as people who are fans or big enthusiasts of music you'd probably see some strong Neptune or Venus Neptune action going on but that is for another day I definitely want to express my gratitude to both of you for having this conversation and you know graciously sharing your experiences I'm also really grateful and I absolutely enjoyed listening to Pam and like her perspective and so many years of dedication to music being condensed <laughs> in such a short <laughs> time span Pam, do you want to perhaps like let our listeners know where they can find you? Uh, sure. I am at Pam on Instagram. And that's really where I spend most of my time. So I, I have a Twitter too. It's at Pamela because someone, the audacity, someone had taken <laughs> Pam. Um, but yeah, I hang out on Instagram most of the time. And, um, yeah, I, I really have grown to love connecting with, with all fans, but, you know, pumpkins fans are the ones that find me most because they're the ones, you know, I, I talk about pumpkins more than anything else. Um, <laughs> and yeah, this has been really great. Thank you for having me. I wasn't sure what I was going to say, but, um, yeah, it just kind of came tumbling out and I appreciate This YouTube supporting me, it's definitely something about, you know, opening up and being vulnerable. But I will say that when I started doing that, that's when the best people came into my life. Mm -hmm. So there is, 
you know, something to be said for, for showing a little bit of yourself. I mean, Diana knows I don't ever show all of myself, but Scorpio, typical Scorpio. <laughs> and what 12th house sun is going to show you yeah. all. We love a little mystery. Right. I can say that the good that has come, come to me from opening up greatly overshadows any of the bad that, that I've had to deal with. So yeah. And, and yeah, I, I wave my fangirl flag high and proud. Yes. Amen. I don't have any closing words or anything like that other than thank you. If you're tuning in and listening, I hope you found this edifying or interesting. Maybe you connected in some way. Um, and, and definitely thank you both again for the conversation. To all of those who tuned in for this episode, first of all, thank you. And we would love to know about your opinions and how do you feel about the subjects that we have touched upon. We may even read the comments section for this episode. <laughs> Make an exception <laughs> for this. And see you next time for the next episode. <laughs>